What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dampa Valley, and I am with Grant Hughes. I am also joined this time by Thorne Wade, who will hopefully be extremely quiet during the recording of this Southeast Division off-season report card podcast. Before we cannonball into all the fun stuff, or maybe not so fun stuff, depending on which team you root for, we have the most important question of the podcast. Grant, how are you doing? It feels like maybe a full day since I last spoke with you. Could be. I feel really good. I'm glad I got to wear the hat today. Um, this will only make sense to the people looking at this on YouTube, but uh, it was my turn for a hat. We've agreed to joint custody. Not the same hat, but we can't both wear a hat, I don't think. So uh, it's my turn, and it's going to make me smarter in my grades. I feel confident about that. Uh, all your grades are just going to be right. So I had them on the first. I had on the first two podcasts. You have them on for the next two. We'll we'll leave it to chance on the 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 final two. Uh, as usual, before we cannonball in, let me get through the criteria very quickly. We are grading teams relative to the tools that were at their disposal this offseason. So not every team is graded in the same terms. Uh, if you are a delusional homer, this is not the podcast for you. The Southeast. I don't. I actually wasn't too cruel on the Southeast. Uh, but like, we're not here to act like I didn't go into this wanting to fuck with your team. If you disagree with the grade. And the other thing is remember that a C is not a bad grade. C is passing. So like the D's and the, I haven't given out an F yet. Spoiler alert. I don't know if you have, uh, but like that, like those are the bad grades. So with all of that context there, we begin with the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, their notable moves include they acquired DeJounte Murray and Jock Landale for Neil Gallinari, Charlotte's 23 first, which is top 16 protected. Then it's lotto protected in 24 and 25. Uh, they also gave San Antonio their 2025 first round pick unprotected. Uh, Atlanta also gave a first round swap to San Antonio in 26 unprotected, a 2027 first round pick outright unprotected. And that was it. I was about to go through the Rudy Gobert trade package and include a 2029 pick there. Uh, the Hawks drafted AJ Griffin at number 16. They traded Kevin Herter to the Kings from Mo Harkless, Justin Holiday, and a 2024 first round pick that's protected until kingdom come, or it's lotto protected in 2024, top 12 in 2025, and then top 10 in 26. Then it turns into two, it turns into one second after that. They also created a $3.7 million traded player exception. They signed Aaron Holiday and Frank Kaminsky to one-year vet minimum deals. They traded the number 44 pick, Ryan Hollins, to the Warriors for Tyrese Martin, the number 51 pick, and $2 million in cash. Uh, they then signed Tyrese Martin to a two-year $2.7 million deal, partially guaranteed, and they signed Trent Forrest to a two-way contract. Their notable exits, they waived Sharif Cooper, uh, they Delon Wright signed with the Wizards. Kevin Knox signed with the Spurs. Gorgie J uh, Kevin Knox signed with the Pistons. Excuse me. Gorgie Jang signed with the Spurs, and Lou Williams remains unsigned. That is not even the longest transaction list we need to get through in this podcast. But Grant, what is your grade for the Atlanta Hawks? So just as you were going through it, I decided to lower it a little bit because. Uh, oh. <laughs> so I'm down, and I might be higher than you still. I don't know. I'm down to a B minus, um, which I which I. Can imagine is too high for a lot of just see the pick outlay that went back to San Antonio for DeJounte Murray, who is someone that when we talked about San Antonio before, is probably going to need a max deal in a couple years. So you gave up all that uh, pick equity. Um, those unprotected ones, especially, are you know, those are hard to get. Um, and you have the, the likelihood of having to pay this guy like a real superstar, which I, I don't personally think he's quite on that level. He's really good, I like what he does, and, and the fit. I guess we should talk. I should talk about that now. The fit 
makes sense, right? You need a guy that's going to guard the best backcourt offensive player because Trey Young can't do that. Uh, we can go deeper into or not how much point guard defense matters um, versus it. We know it's not as important as, as, as having a good big man on the back line uh, or some switchable wings, but it's still an issue. It was a glaring issue. So Murray's a great defensive player. Um, he's a great, I mean, primary playmaker. So as a secondary playmaker, I like him a lot. I have some questions about what you do with him when he's off the ball. I think what probably happens is you stagger him and, and young a lot. Uh, they both had, I think they were in the top five in, you know, seconds per touch and touch time generally. So there's like some stuff to work out. Um, but at the end of the game, they're going to play together. And so I'm not sure what Murray's value is offensively if he doesn't have the ball and certainly young should have the ball. So um, all that said, I think Atlanta's better. Um, and just talking about the big things, you know, I don't, I don't mind the herder move. I like getting Kings picks at, just full stop, even if there's a bunch of protections on it. Um, and like the only guy that, that the Hawks lost that I think might actually, you know, they might feel the loss of is, is Delon, right? Uh, I just, I think he fits everywhere. I think he's just a good, you know, seventh, eighth guy. Um, but other than that, I think, you know, they added a star level player, a guy who was an all-star last season and who kind of fills some of their needs. So, um, it, I dropped it to a B minus just because of what they gave up and what they'll be committed to, uh, going forward, uh, financially. Um, but you know, B minus is still an above average grade. So, so I'm, I'm, I guess I'm, uh, a little something more than lukewarm on, on the whole, on the whole deal. So I am higher than you. I went with a B I basically agree with everything you said. I'm just more pro risk for teams in this sense where players are not changing in free agency, at, at least right now. Maybe, it, maybe that changes because of the cap spike and players, you know, they're not going to like DeJounte Murray, for example, is not going to extend off this number because 120% raise off that final year isn't going to be close to his max. But would he have just left for Atlanta outright in free agency, even if they created the cap space? And if we want mid-market and smaller markets or non-glamour markets, depending on because Atlanta's like Atlanta's a real market. I don't mean to call yeah. them a small market, but if we want these non-glamour franchises to actually compete for titles or to take swings or to feel like they have a chance, these are the moves you need to make. And you know, DeJounte Murray all of a sudden going from the best player on the Spurs to the second best player on the, the Hawks, like that's a big difference. I am worried about the offensive fit more than anything. You laid out everything. The other thing is uh, Nate McMillan has said that they're going to get Trey Young moving off the ball and put the um, the rock in DeJounte Murray's hands. That's fun to think about in theory. Like Trey Young hasn't done that through his first you know half decade in the league, basically, uh, in part because the Hawks weren't built to do that. But one, is DeJounte Murray a good enough playmaker to warrant doing that? And then the bigger question is just what does Trey Young look like off the ball? He can't look, he can't set screens like Steph Curry. That's just not going to happen. Can you envision him coming off screens and flinging up these, these daggers for sure? Is that something he's going to be comfortable doing? Because that's what will separate him from Steph Curry versus Luca or James Harden. Where like, they sort of need to be ball dominant. I would say, even though James Harden did a good job accommodating a Russell Westbrook and even a Chris Paul. So I just, I appreciate the swing. I think he fills what was their biggest need when you really look at the roster. Um, what I was uncomfortable with, and I considered like a C plus B minus for a second, they've kind of just decided that they're going to punt on a bunch of shooting. Uh, they go from Kevin Herter to Mo Harkless and Justin Holiday, both of whom are inferior shooters to him. You have John Collins still, but you're at a point where if you have Clint Capella and DeJounte Murray on the court at the same time, that's two 
I would categorize them as two non-shooters, even with Murray's mid-range game. And we don't really know what he looks like as a higher volume set three-point guy. Uh, that does concern me. But I, I like the idea that they took this risk. And I don't care about the Charlotte pick. Um, I think when you're looking at these picks now, all beginning after the Hawks picks, after this current DeJounte Murray deal, that's something fair to quibble over. Uh, because that's like, you've given the Spurs control of three of your picks, but that swap, you do have to sort of wonder, well, how much value will that actually have? Because you presumably you are going to keep DeJounte Murray. And are you going to be worse than the Spurs who are entering the, the early stages of a rebuild? So it's really like, I kind of think it's the 2027 first to, to really just quibble about. And I didn't think mm -hmm. that was worth um, really lampooning them for. I also like finally that they didn't just move John Collins for the sake of moving John Collins. And maybe that changes uh, once Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell are moved. Uh, but the way the market was shifting for him and some of the packages and rumors that were out there, if even an iota of them were true or accurate, like the value for John Collins wasn't there. And I frankly don't understand it. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the league right now. And he's also a really good outlet. If you want to go with him at the five, maybe because you can build stronger defensive lineups now, or just having another floor space around the court when Clint Capella and DeJounte Murray are there too. So I was... I wasn't in love with their offseason, but I, I think I appreciated it is the best way to phrase it. And I do think there is an outcome where would I categorize them as an Eastern Conference finalist? No, but could you look at this team and say if everything breaks right, they're a top four team in the East? Absolutely. Yeah. And then in that case, all those picks are in the 20s, theoretically, or you know, high mid to high 20s even, if it really goes right for them. And then it's probably worth it. I mean, you got to talk about opportunity costs. Maybe those picks could have been used for something else. But I don't know if you would have been able to find something that, like you said, Murray just fills the holes. Like, for how long did we talk about how, well, when Trey Young's off the floor, you know, the offense falls apart because there's just nobody making plays. And Bogdanovich addressed that to some extent, but I feel so much more comfortable now that whatever happens, Atlanta's just going to have a guy on the floor that can run the offense. And so, you know, and, and with Murray, it's someone that at least as a point of attack defender and kind of a passing lane ball hawk, like he's going to make a difference. So, yeah, it's 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 tough. I I but I think we we generally agree. I think uh, I maybe just am a little more concerned about the fit and the idea that you're going to take Trey Young, who's one of four or five guys that is just an offense unto himself, and you're going to make him do something like a little bit different, and you don't know if it's going to work. So so that's 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 the only difference I think. Yeah, you're you talk. I'm lowering mine to a B minus. You talk me into a B minus there. Just that, that there's that risk in the opportunity because you gave up. But the flip side of that also is too, you gave up none of your core to get to Jante Murray, who is a top 35, 40. Like he's definitely a top 50 guy at this point, right? He he was an all-star injury replacement. So like yeah. to have that and John Collins and Capella and Onyeko Kongu and hey, Jalen Johnson, like that's still in your chamber. Plus the I don't, does that Kings pick ever convey? That's a fair question, but you have a Kings yeah. pick. That's something you could dangle in trade packages too. Yeah. So B minuses across the board. You sold me. I'm there. We're on to the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, Miles Bridges, who was arrested on felony domestic violence charges, was not part of my grade. Uh, I know for a fact, I didn't ask him about this, but he was definitely not part of Grant's grade. The only thing I will mention is go ahead and look at the Katie Heinel's done some great stuff at the basketball feeling Substack on this. She wrote a great article and she also went on the lockdown Hornets podcast and did an episode about the coverage of domestic violence in sports or also lack thereof. Um, that's just all I really have to say on the situation. And would I demerit them if they just sort of throw caution to the wind, if uh, they're going to pay him anyway. And like those charges are still floating around out there or there's not enough discipline or I will get into that when it comes, but Miles Bridges did not factor into either of our grades. Uh, their moves, though, they drafted Mark Williams at number 15. 
they traded number 13, Jalen Duran, to the Knicks for Denver's 2023 first-round pick, which is lotto-protected through 2025, then turns into two seconds. They also got three second-rounders from the Knicks. The Knicks' own in 23, Utah's 2023 pick, and then the least favorable of OKC, Dallas, Washington, and Miami's second-round pick. They acquired Bryce McGowan's, the number 40 pick from the Wolves, for Josh Minot, the number 45 pick, and the Knicks' 2023 second rounder that they got as part of that Jalen Duran trade. They then signed McGowan's to a two-way contract. Uh, they fired James Borrego, and after their dalliance with Kenny Atkinson, who backed out of a deal, they signed a familiar face Steve Clifford to a three-year contract with a team option on that final season. They guaranteed Jalen McDaniels' salary, and they signed Cody Martin to a four-year $31.6 million deal. The final season is non-guaranteed. He will never make more than $8.7 million. And the full scope of this deal would take him through his age 31 season if he finishes it out. Uh, their notable exits, uh, like I said, Miles Bridges, Isaiah Thomas, and Montrezl Harrell, they all remain unsigned. That's all I have right now. Grant, what was your grade for the, the Hornets offseason? So this is about as low as I, this is as low as I'm going to get to uh, on this division, at least. Uh, this is a D-plus for me. Um, the, I, I guess I would frame it this way other than the Cody Martin deal, which I think we both agree is like, that's, that's a good deal. Um, I yeah, think we both, you know, the Martin, the Martins were kind of guys that it's, you know, kind of like auto Porter or whoever else, when we were going through free agency, it's like, you know, who would be a value signing either of these guys. And I think that's a fine signing. I think that's a, that's a good rate for a good player. That's not a star or anything close to it, but that's, that's fine to me. Everything else is either uninspiring or like downright like depressing. And I'm focusing specifically on the Clifford hire. It's just like, like maybe, you know, Charlotte has needs someone, I think like Clifford to, you know, it's just this, it's an old school coach. He's going to focus on defense. He's going to be detail oriented. He's going to sort of, but I don't know how different that is from James Borrego and just the whole, the optics, I know the optics shouldn't matter, but it's what they signal here of just bringing back a coach that you've already had like recently, not 10 years ago. This isn't like Don Nelson coming back to the Warriors, you know, with a decade off or whatever it was. It's like this guy was just here and he has since lost another job uh, in, in the interim. So I I just am so it just I don't know how Charlotte fans feel. I imagine there's one, you know, there's a contingent that is cool with this and a contingent that feels like I do. Uh, but that's just, it just, I just don't like it. I don't, I don't feel like it's the sign of a team that is like serious about doing anything. And I would extend that to, this is still a team that needs a center so badly and just didn't do anything. You know, maybe Williams who they got at 15 is going to make a difference down the line, but like, I don't know, don't we want to do something now? You're paying Gordon Hayward a bunch of money. LaMelo ball is ready to be like a bigger star. Terry Rozier's and uh, talking about underrated players. I really like Terry Rozier. They have enough. Bridges kind of throws that all out of whack by taking that big piece out of the rotation. But, you know, this is a team that I think should have been looking to kind of make some steps forward and just didn't do anything to, to follow that path. And specifically we're like, we're just going to play Mason. It's another Plumlee season at center. This is what we're doing. We're going to hope PJ Washington can play a little more. I just, I, I just, uh, I don't know. I'm super down on this. Nothing excites me about it. And Martin is about as about the best thing they did. And that's kind of like an on the margins move to me. I went with a C minus. Uh, I really like anyone who listens to this podcast knows Bryce McGowan's. I do wonder if like, are you that confident that Nick's second rounder is not going to end up in the thirties that you were willing to give it up to move up five spots in the 
the second round. I like the Cody Martin contract. I know some people thought it was an overpay. I don't understand that. And so I liked those. I don't have a problem with Mark Williams at 15. Uh, they do have sort of these hodgepodge of youngsters there, though. So there's Mason Plumley. You also have Kai Jones, JT Thor, and now Mark Williams is part of this center carousel. So I don't know what the direction is there. That's definitely a knock against them for sure. Uh, but I don't have a problem with the Mark Williams pick specifically. This is also a team where it's like, okay, I understand that. Uh, well, I don't know if I should say I understand, but like, yeah, they're worried about staying far enough below the tax. And as of right now, this is not factoring in like uh, miles, what miles bridges might get. It's just a cap hold. They're $13 million away from the tax, but what sort of message does it send to the mill ball that you didn't, or anyone on the team, they just didn't use your, like even try to use your uh, mid-level exception this year. Uh, and that's something that presumably could have gotten you an upgrade at the big man spot. Uh, and it's fine that you guaranteed Mason Plumley salary. I get not paying him basically half of it to go away, but that just, that rubs me um, in, in the wrong vein too. So I, there are, and look, I actually don't have a problem with the Clifford hire. It's Kenny Atkinson chose to stay with the Warriors over going to like perennial mediocrity in Charlotte. I get it. And at least Steve Clifford cares about defense. I just don't think you've given him the tools to build right. a better defense. And what are you doing? Because right now you are in the sub middle still. Like you didn't, it's not even a matter of they didn't get better. They didn't pick a, like a concrete direction. So you're still sort of just existing in that eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 spot in the Eastern conference. And the East is going to be more. If you think the Knicks and the wizards are going to be better um, and that the Cavs are going to be right there, like the East is going to be maybe a little bit deeper or if not at least more difficult than last year. So I'm just very disenchanted with their off season. I felt like I couldn't go as low as a D because I really did like the Martin contract. And like I said, I'm a big fan of, Bryce McGowan's and I, but the other thing, and am I going to talk myself in the same grade as you again? Just <laughs> why you're trading number 13 and you're getting back a first round pick. That's never, never has the potential to be as high as 13. Right. And it, I guess it's fine if you think like, well, we're going to nail that next pick, but like those Denver picks, it's going to convey next year and it's going to be in the twenties. Right. That's like a weird thing to have the three second rounders is the only buffer there. I think I'm lowering mine to, to a D plus as I say this, because I didn't wait that trade enough. So I just, I'm very uninspired by what the Charlotte Hornets are doing. And like, this is a D plus where I'm not even like, I don't even think I'm penalizing them for what happened with Kenny Atkinson and pivoting to Steve Clifford. Yeah. Yeah. That did a lot. That, that did a lot of the work for me, but yeah, it's just, you know, what are we, what are you trying to be? What, what are the Hornets want to do? What, like if you, if you just were judging them on this off season, there would be no clarity at all on like what the, what the plan is. What's the five-year plan. What's the two-year plan. What's the, what's the goal this year. There's just no reason to, there's, there's no, there's no signal of like what the, what the plan is. And you always hate to see that. And I think a good harbinger of this is that this is not source, but like there were people who were erroneously proposing Charlotte as a Russell Westbrook landing spot either because they wanted to get off of long-term money in Gordon Hayward and or maybe Terry Rozier, but also just people that were like, oh, it's Charlotte. And I think that that's lazy thinking, but it's also like if that's how people are viewing the direction of the franchise, like that says a lot about their inability to clarify just what the fuck they're doing. The next team is the Miami Heat. Their notable moves include drafting Nikola Jovic at number 27. They signed Caleb Martin, Cody's twin brother, to a three-year $20.4 million deal player option on that final season. They signed Victor Oladipo to a two-year $18.2 million deal, player option on year two. Signed away Denman to a two-year $9 million deal. 2023-2024 is completely non-guaranteed. 
They signed point guard Marcus Garrett to a two-way contract, power forward Darius Days to a two-way contract. They signed uh, Jamari Bouye to an Exhibit 10, and they signed Jamal Cain to an Exhibit 10 as well. Their notable exits include P.J. Tucker. He went to the Sixers. And then Udonis Haslam and Markeith Morris remained unsigned, but there was the report at the beginning of free agency that the Heat sent a, quote, contingent to convince Udonis Haslam to come back. And so it's just like, are they trying to keep their roster spots flexible for now? And if there's a trade uh, with Kevin Durant or Donovan Mitchell or someone else, I also thought like, could we see Udonis Haslam moved in like a sign-in trade to like help <laughs> like beef up the amount of outgoing salary they could. Uh, and that would be like his last like helpful boom to the franchise. But I just, I find it weird that there was the report Udonis Haslam had a contingent of Miami Heat people recruiting him to stay and we haven't, at least I haven't seen or heard anything official about his contract. What grade did you give the Miami Heatles? So this is a very uncertain C minus. Um, and I don't, I, I don't necessarily like think of every uh, grade I'm giving in these terms, but this is the, how it makes the most sense. This is the easiest way for me to justify it. So like if you're a Heat fan, do you feel better today about the team than you did at the end of last season? And, and that was, so I knew it was going to be in the C range. And, and I don't think you should, if, if I, I think a heat, a heat fan would, would just say, well, we lost PJ Tucker uh, to a conference rival. And yeah, like there's a great chance that that Tucker, because of his age is just like, that was the right move. Like you shouldn't commit the years it may have taken. It might've taken three years to keep him um, and get, you know, you always want to move on from a player too early than too late. Maybe they did that. I don't know. I'm just looking at the roster today and I'm seeing the, the absence of a, of a key guy that they don't really seem like they have the ability to sort of backfill that specific position. So I like the Martin signing. I'm fine with Oladipo and Deadman. Um, I like those as kind of trade ballast salaries, if nothing else. They did well um, to get a non-guarantee on Deadman's uh, second year. The player options are a little sketchy, especially for Oladipo. Uh, but those are okay. It's really just for me. The, the, the team is worse now than it was. Uh, I think unless somebody pops, uh, or they figure out a, a way to, to replace what Tucker brought, which is weird to think about because he's such a unique player. Um, so it's a C minus, it's not the end of the world. Um, but just ba based on the simple kind of metric I went with that, that felt right to me. Yeah. So I went with a B minus and See, I see the C plus range. I don't know how to critique them for losing PJ Tucker. They could have offered him the same contract that Philly did. It would have hard capped them, of course. And it seems like they wanted that flexibility under there. Uh, they also wound up like there. I guess there's other things they could have done, but they ended up using like the mid level exception to keep Caleb Martin, which I I think he was an important player too. Uh, do I think he could play some four? No, but it really just seemed like PJ Tucker wanted to go to Philly, and I don't know how. And like that was just done beforehand. So I don't know. I didn't really hit them hard for that. It doesn't seem like they did or even tried to do anything to like replace that front court spot alongside Bam Adebayo. Now this is all sort of muddied by their involvement in the Kevin Durant and or Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. They're not going to get any bigger as part of a Donovan Mitchell trade though. I guess they could take on someone else from Utah, but even like if I guess it was Boyan Bogdanovich or something. Yeah. He could play the four, but that would just be a massive trade at yeah. that point. And of course, Kevin Durant is a perfect PJ Tucker replacement, I would argue. Uh, but <laughs> so, there, but, and I like the deal that they gave Victor Oladipo, like to keep him, that's just sort of upside caked in. Um, and it's more shot creation to go along with Tyler Hero, Kyle Lowry and Jimmy Butler. He might be, there is a, there's a 
scenario where he is like their best off the dribble three point shooter next season. That's also kind of harrowing because it's not going to be Butler. He doesn't take him. It could be Lowry. It could be Tyler Hero, even though he's more um, disposed to taking mid range shots off the dribble. But like Victor Lodipo will be in that conversation. I do think that's an important creation element when you're looking at teams that want to compete deeper into the playoffs. Uh, so I didn't, and then like Nikola Jovic at 27, I thought was perfectly good value there. Mm-hmm. I like bringing Dwayne Dedman back. He had a good year. Uh, Omer year seven also showed some flashes and it seems like they're actually going to use him. And so I get maybe not trying to be more aggressive in like changing up the front court at the same time. There just feels like there's that gaping hole at the, just next to Bam Adebayo in your best lineups, I would say. And are you going to play super small where Jimmy Butler's your de facto four, or, or is it Caleb Martin? Uh, is Jovic getting minutes right off the bat? Are we going to see like your seven and Bam Adebayo play together? I don't really want to see that. Uh, so I, I just, given how good their bench was last season and they lose a major starting piece, I didn't really know how to reconcile that, but I liked too much of what they actually had control over, keeping Kayla Martin, bringing back Victor Lodipo. And I do, I actually do legitimately like the Jovic pick. Um, and the, even the Dwayne Dedman contract, it felt like nothing detrimental and that there was no opportunity, other opportunity that they passed out of. Uh, but again, the fact that it clearly wasn't a priority to, to, acquire or find someone to fill that spot that PJ Tucker vacated, who's more properly sized, or at least has like the girth to do what he was doing. That's something that I think you can absolutely hit them for. And you look, if you really want to, you can also say, well, I would have rather them spent the full mid level. We don't care about the tax. Yes. It would have hard capped them. And maybe we could have gotten a better player. I don't know necessarily who was out there. Like, would you have rather have given this money to TJ Warren over Caleb Martin? Were you in the mix for Otto Porter Jr. at all? Is he even that much of an upgrade over Kayla Martin in the aggregate? I think Kayla Martin certainly is just going to have higher upside at this point. But if you want to quibble over, well, they didn't actually use all of their best spending tool. I, I understand that. But it does at least keep them more flexible on the trade market, them being not hard capped. So I wouldn't call it like an encouraging offseason, but I think it was an eminently okay one, which is reflected in my B-. minus. Yeah, no, I think I think the because it's the heat one and because of the, the types of deals they chose to do and the things they chose not to do, it feels like we should be expecting this to be a setup for something bigger, or at least they're positioning themselves so that if something bigger is out there, they can capitalize, whether that's a Mitchell trade or something else. Like that's just always, I always am suspicious that the heat are, you know, thinking about a move that they may already, you know, that's a couple steps down the line. So that gives me the most pause with the C minus, because this could all just be, you know, stepping stones to the bigger move they want to make just until that happens. That's just, I'm just going to be slightly below average, but I totally get the B minus or even higher. If you are really confident that this is all part of some plan that is, is just, we're in phase one of four or something. I'm not confident about that, which is why I no, not go you, higher. just in general, no. I could, I could, I could hear that argument. What do you think about, could you sweeten a deal enough to get Boyan Bogdanovich for Duncan Robinson here and then slot, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich into that, starting four spots will be bam boyan kyle lowry jimmy butler and um oh my god who am i well i guess it would be hero. it wouldn't be tyler hero he's coming off the bench like it could be victor Oladipo, it could be max Struess at that point all right Struess, yeah i don't know i don't know what you i mean bogdanovich is so clearly a a better all-around player um i don't know what you've got to throw in i'd be i would be into that i mean let's just blow it all the way out though and try to make it for mitchell and get a third team in there somehow i, I mean that's that's i just that, I don't that think would satisfy ever, me based on what they've set themselves up to do 
as of right now, I don't think they'll have the best trade package or even the second best trade package for a star. I did think about like, if you're going lower end, even a Jake bringing back Jake Crowder, they never should have let him go in the first place. Mm -hmm. When you're talking about the 2020 off season. And there are just sort of like Kelly Oubre jr. Even though he's not the best shooter, uh, but John Collins would be a very interesting fit here. The Miami is one of my favorite John Collins destinations. That feels like if the Hawks want to sort of like pot stockpile some picks and they're willing to take back Duncan Robinson, um, that could be a route that they go. Uh, so uh, would you do though, like is Jovich and your 23 pick for Boyan Bogdanovich and then it'd be Duncan Robinson. Is that too much? It feels like it would be the time, maybe just based on the timing, I think because Robinson's value is about as low as it's been, you know, for several years. And I think Bogdanovich might, you know, at his age and, and like, I mean, Robinson gets killed defensively, but Bogdanovich like lately has been bad. So the I don't know. Stuff has dropped off. Yeah, for sure. That feels like a lot. Uh, I, if it's just Jovich and Robinson for sure, but I don't know why Utah does that. If it's if it's Bogdanovich in the twenty three, I mean, we keep talking about how these picks don't really matter if they're going to be in the twenties, which you'd assume the Heat's would be. So I, that that might I might think about that. And then you're I think you're off of Bogdanovich's money much sooner than Robinson's. I think there's at least He's a inspiring. So yeah, and Ro Robinson's yeah. four years left on his yeah, deal. That, yeah, so understatement by me, you're off of his money sooner. Um, yeah, I'd probably do that. If I mean the savings just the, and the flexibility that might afford you alone might be worth it. Um, and what wasn't part of this, it could be is what happens with a Tyler hero extension. I just don't think they're going to sign him to one because maybe they'll want the flexibility mid season to, to move him. Yeah. That does it. So I ended up with a B minus you ended up where C minus I'm going to stick with the C minus the Orlando magic are next notable move moves include drafting Paolo Bancaro at number one after everyone and their mother thought that they were going to take, uh, Jabari Smith jr. Uh, that was such a fascinating just looking at the way there was the reporting and Woj backtracking at the last minute, but I digress there. The Magic drafted Caleb Houston at number 32 and then signed him to a four-year, $8.2 million deal. First two years are guaranteed. They re-signed Gary Harris to a two-year, $26 million deal. Uh, the, the second season is non-guaranteed. Mobamba signed a two-year, $20.6 million deal. The final season is non-guaranteed. They signed Bobo to a two-year, $4.4 million deal. Guess what? The final season is non-guaranteed. They signed Admiral Schofield and Kavon Harris to two-way contracts, and they signed Drake Jeffries to an Exhibit 10 deal. Uh, their notable exits, Robin Lopez signed with the Cavs. That was that was just some really hard-hitting transactional uh, recapping, Grant. What is your grade for the Orlando Magic? Uh, this is a B plus, and it's closer to an A- minus than a flat B, uh, but I'll just leave it there. Um, the, Bancaro, like, the Bancaro decision was, like you said, uh, a surprise, but you know, not just because of summer league, but also just thinking about like what kind of player he's going to be in theory. I think he actually makes, I mean, this isn't a hot take. I think a lot of people think this, he makes sense, especially for a team that, you know, their young guards, both Suggs, Cole, Anthony, even Fultz throw him in there. I'm not confident that you've got an elite, like on the ball playmaker in any of those guys. And just talking about it in like a two or three year time horizon. I just don't know. Um, so if you can get your, a, a significant portion of your offensive initiation from a big wing forward, really. Um, I, I like the idea of what that opens up for you roster construction wise at other positions. So now you're not stuck just hoping Jalen Suggs learns to make a shot once in a while, or, you know, that Cole Anthony is becomes more of an empty calories guy or can finish in two point range, that all that stuff. So 
I like the Bancaro move. Um, I think it was kind of bold. Um, and so they get extra credit for that. And then just the other stuff, one of the best ways to get a high grade for me is just to have a bunch of non-guarantees. <laughs> and so the Magic definitely ticked that box three times. I like the Harris number. I like the Bomba number even because he really showed that he's far from a bust. Like this is a quality backup center now. And I think, you know, his profile is unusual. He is going to make some threes. He is going to block shots. If that's your backup five for 10 million a year and you're not on the hook really at all beyond this season, great. Um, just making them non-guarantees instead of uh, instead of player options, like because all those guys could have justified asking for that, and that would have swung this grade totally the other way. Um, yeah, I like that offseason. I don't mind losing Robin Lopez because you've got two centers in Carter and Bamba, and you're you're fine there. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's a B plus. But if you make a strong case, I might move it up. I, although I don't know where you are on that. I have an A minus for them, yeah. which is I think people might think that's weird because they were a bad team that didn't do much. I think I would have, I had Bancaro as my top pick. And I think even if he doesn't pan out and you alluded to this, they just needed that guy who profiles as the offensive pole star. And that wasn't, it could, I guess in theory, it was never going to be Chet Holmgren. People are trying to scale out uh, and yes, maybe. And then Jabari Smith Jr. was supposed to be more polished, but after summer league, it's like, well, he's very clearly more versatile on defense than he is on offense, which isn't like a bad thing by any stretch. Yeah. They went with the guy who is just going to check every single offensive box possible. Like he could end up being their best passer. And yeah. they haven't had that guy in forever. Like are we, we're talking about like since T-Mac or Grant Hill, who's been the last time they've had like that primary, just like offensive centerpiece that was worth being dubbed such. So yeah. I, I love that they went that route. And then Gary Harris, for anyone who wasn't watching the Magic or wasn't paying close enough attention, had a really good year last season. Shot like 50% on drives. His three-point shot was back. Solid defense. You're spot on with Mo Bamba. It does feel like I, – I almost went to an A. It still feels like this team skews too far towards having not enough wings because they have Terrence Ross and Jalen Suggs, who are like twos and swingmen. Uh, even Markel Fultz, he's bigger for a guard, but he's not a wing. You have Franz Wagner, but I view him and Chumo Kiki as combo forwards more than two threes or even a pure three. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe Caleb Houston turns into that for you, but that's like if we're throwing eggs in the basket of Caleb Houston. Gary Harris, just a little small. So like Gary Harris or Franz Wagner is their best wing. And I don't think that either qualify as a, like a true wing uh, to not go like more aggressively after that type of player. Again, I didn't really hit them with that hard. I gave them an A minus. Mm -hmm. And also when you look at, oh, well, it feels like they have so many bigs. Wendell Carter Jr., that contract is a fucking steal. Uh, yeah. I have him as just a potential all-star to watch next season because he was so good last year. And look, we don't know when Jonathan Isaac is coming back. He had another setback. Um, their hope was that he was going to be ready towards the beginning of the season, but we've heard zilch, zip, nada about his timeline. So it all is going to kind of work out. And by the way, I'm not advocating they do this all the time. They were a team that played dual bigs a lot. Bamba and Wendell Carter Jr. played a bunch together. Now you have Bancaro into that. So, and jo when Jonathan Isaac, when he eventually comes back, like they can play big still. So it's not like they're actually overloaded with bigs. I just feel like they're sort of a wing deficit. Uh, that being said, I loved what they did this off season. And it also, I think showed further commitment to uh, the rebuild where yes, what could they have done that wouldn't have shown that, but like they didn't go out and they could have had a, a shit ton of cap space. They didn't sign these long-term contracts. They didn't go after an Anthony Simons or, you know, a, like even a Colin Sexton or get into the miles bridges sweepstakes that don't exist at this point. So uh, I, I like respect that gradual approach because it's something that they eschewed 
for so long that I'm just very appreciative of it. And so it was, it was actually a pretty easy A minus for me. Yeah, I think too, there's some upside or there's definitely upside with both Harris and Bamba as trade chips because, you know, there's going to be a team, everybody, you know, like you said, Harris isn't quite the right size, but he's going to fit anywhere. And you can, ima- I mean, look what Dallas gave JaVale McGee because it decided it needed rim protection. Like if Bamba's, if there's a playoff team that's like, man, we got to have the option of someone in there just to shut things down around the basket. So I don't know if either of those guys individually is worth a future first at the trade deadline, put protections on it. But like, you know, neither of them, I, I don't think feature prominently in, in Orlando's like biggest of big picture thoughts. And I think those are, they're both flippable and, and the non-guarantees make it even better. So they, they, they didn't play the cap space game, but they also kind of did because they're still in position to take back some bad money with a pick and send out, you know, one or two of these guys that, that isn't a future piece. So I, I think, um, short of just leaving the cap space open, like say Indiana or San Antonio, um, th- this was this is how this is how a bad team should sort of allocate I- its room. I think, and they rolled over their flexibility to just next summer, where they could have right. fifty-five plus million in cap space again. And look, the other thing they can do—you already mentioned it—because they have those Harris and Bamba like basically expiring deals. Um, like th- there is an option on the table if everything works out and all parties involved agree to it you're taking back bad money attached to other assets too. Or Mm -hmm. by the way, this is a team because of the type of salaries they now have. And then the pick commitments that they have, they have a future Denver pick. They have a future bulls pick. They have all their own picks. If they're better than expected and Donovan Mitchell's still floating around out there or something like they could get involved in that type of deal. I'm not saying they will, but they're just built to go any direction at this point. And even more so than they were last season when we knew they'd already detonated everything. Uh, And look, Terrence Ross expiring contract still floating around in there too. So I think this was just not a pitcher perfect off season, but the Mavericks are sort of heading in a pitcher perfect direction because of the flexibility and the optionality that they've afforded themselves. Yep. Agree. That was a very quick, just bunch of positive thoughts on the Orlando magic. We're on to the Washington wizards. I have a feeling we'll be less positive on this team. Notable moves include drafting Johnny Davis at number 10. They signed Bradley Beal to a five year, $251 million deal. And then they included a 15% trade kicker and then they included a no trade clause. And then they included a a $57 million player option in the final season when he would be entering his age 33 campaign. They signed Delon Wright to a two year, $16 million deal. They signed Anthony Gill to a two year, $8.3 million deal. They acquired Will Barton and Monte Morris for Ish Smith and Contavious Caldwell Pope. They signed Taj Gibson to a one year vet minimum. And then they signed McCore maker to an exhibit 10 deal. Notable exits include Howell Neto, who signed with the Cavs, and Thomas Bryant, who signed with the Lakers. Grant, I'm very curious to know what grade you gave the Wizards. So this is a D. Um, I am totally open to the F argument. And and maybe, so just frame it this way. So the only thing that the Wizards did this offseason that has, like, uh, that will fundamentally affect this whole operation for the next five years and maybe beyond that. Cause sometimes when you get a deal like this, talking about Beal, the fallout is it's more than the length of the contract because once it's over, you're sort of like, well, the, the dust is only just settling and you're at zero. Um, so th- the Beal contract I think is like, is a fatal decision. And, and like, again, we spent previous pods saying, well, maybe we shouldn't be punishing the team for positions that prior decisions like forced forced them into. And speaking specifically about Beal, he shouldn't he should have been traded two years ago or you know, slightly worse than that one year ago, or last just you have to trade him because 
you get into this position and now you've maxed out a guy who I think his best years may be behind him and his best years topped out as like he was an all-star. He scored a bunch of points, but the team was no good with him playing just as well as he possibly could. Not all his fault, but we're just not talking about a cornerstone. We're not uh, who's ever been a cornerstone. So it's not even like we're paying him for past performance. We're paying him more than his past performance at his peak suggested he was worth. And so the, 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 the trend line of his career is either flat or heading down. I just, you just can't do and like the no trade clause is like kind of we're all everybody's joking about it but it's just like it it just speaks to me of a franchise that is not operating like other franchises and like in a bad way it just it doesn't it doesn't make sense nobody gets these let alone someone that is not a top 10 player is maybe a top 20 guy i don't know um so i like the delon wright signing like everything else is okay. The the Barton and Morris for Ishmith and KCP trade, you know, it, different types of players. It's sort of, you could talk yourself into it. Morris fills a real need as a point guard on this roster. Those are fine. I just, they don't really matter because it's, because what's happened now is this franchise is committed as much as it possibly could to a player who is not going to return, you know, sufficient, uh, not going to have a sufficient return on that investment. And it just hamstrings your whole operation for a very long time. Um, and so, it, it, like, if all you cared about is that, it's an F. I only give the D, give the the bump up to the D range just because there are a couple other things that were, like, logically defensible. So, I, I don't know. It just, it, it bums me out. I just don't understand. I don't like it when teams make these decisions because we just know what we're in for, right? We know what this is going to look like, I think. Yes, I gave him a D plus and I did consider a C minus because I like the DeLon Wright signing. And then you can, I think there's debate as to who was the best player in that Nuggets Wizards deal as a KCP or Monte Morris. But you took what was one NBA rotation player and turned him into two, basically, in Monte Morris and Will Barton, who could still, he's regressed the past two years, but he's still better than Ish Smith. And now another person that can give you some secondary playmaking. Um, on top of Bradley Beal, and then I hope they give Denny Avdia more responsibility. And you have DeLon Wright and Monte Morris now this season. Uh, I'm also fine with the Taj Gibson contract. I think after losing Thomas Bryant, um, to get him on the, the Vets minimum is, is good. I actually thought bringing back Anthony Gill was smart. Uh, I don't have strong thoughts on Johnny Davis, but they are sort of banking a lot on, oh, his offensive role in college was so complicated and overtaxing. That's what accounts for his diminished efficiency, particularly last season. Um, so there's an element of risk there, but they also didn't trade the number 10 pick for Malcolm Brogdon. The D plus is entirely because they have put themselves at the mercy of Bradley Beal. I, I'm not, I don't have a problem. If they would have just given him the five year, $251 million deal, this would have looked drastically different. If that mm -hmm. player option was there, this looks drastically different, but because for any fuck the trade kicker, I don't, there's always workarounds. Maybe he even waves it or whatever. The no trade clause gives him just carte blanche over not only where he goes, but when he goes. And yes, we know how it works. Players can ask out whenever, and teams sometimes, in, or most of the time in good faith, are going to take into account their, their preferences. Look what's happening with Kevin Durant right now, though. And Kevin Durant's a better player than Bradley Beal. They're on similar age trajectories when you think about it. Bradley Beal is substantially younger, but if Bradley Beal requests out after a year or two of this deal, it'll be closer to the age that Durant is headed into now. Like, the Nets, we don't know what they're going to get for KD, but they have more leverage in this situation than the Wizards would have with Beal because they just can't send Beal wherever they want. And it's just, 
I don't know what it speaks to. I don't know why they felt they needed to do this. And if Bradley Beal said, well, I'm just going to leave all this money on the table and go elsewhere. At that point, if he's willing to burn the bridge when you've shown that you're going to give him this money, uh, and I'm not saying they were doing him a favor, even though I would view him as a sub supermax player. Uh, I'm in agreement that they should have moved him seasons ago, which is why I think they needed to resign him now. Yes, Bradley Beal had all the leverage. At some point, though, the market had to dictate some of that leverage. And if he said he was going to go leave a bunch of money on the table and head elsewhere, do it. Like yeah. when it gets to that point of contention, when you're already putting a five year max on the table, I wouldn't have a problem with teams doing that. Good for Bradley Beal that he's gained ultimate control over his fate while he's under contract. Good, great for him. I don't understand why the Wizards did it. And now they can't, they, they can't even, they don't even get to decide how or when they would detour or deviate away from this direction. You're basically either saying, well, we're going to just run the treadmill of mediocrity until Beal's done with it, or they're obligated. They've been mentioning the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. I actually think their package, if they can finagle it, I don't think the Knicks are going to unprotect that pick they owe, but if you trust that that pick's going to convey in 23 or 24, they can offer some really aggressive star packages featuring Denny Avdia, who I know we're both fairly high on, especially defensively, but like you've just limited your options in what was already a situation where you didn't have a ton of leverage or malleability to begin with. And now you're just, the rigidity is off the charts here. And I just don't understand how he had the leverage to get a no trade clause. That is a fundamental franchise malpractice. Yeah, I agree. It's so I just, just as think about, try, try to like reframe this. What is the, if everything goes right, like what's your upside? You finish fifth in the East. I mean, it, make fourth even, and, and, that's your peak. Like, that's what you did this for. I just don't, it, you know, but it's like, without assuming the alternative was just losing Beal for nothing or an assigned trade, which I think you could argue wasn't the worst outcome. It's just, it's going a step too far after knowing you were probably already going to have to go a couple steps too far. And I, I just, the logic here is just brain bendingly dumb by the way. This isn't, I think Bradley Beal, but, and he also, he negotiates this after he has like, one of the worst seasons of, or the worst season of his prime. Right. I so just, I, just I, I don't understand it. I would rather, I would rather, I would have been to get into this position. That's that to me, that's the, that's the total failure up and down the executive ladder and ownership, whoever else, whoever factored into the decision, getting it was to this. Ted Leonsis. I, and you should be disappointed in Tommy Shepard too, but this definitely falls on Ted Leonsis. So, so all I'm saying is, you got into a shitty position where you sort of felt you had to pay this much. Forget the no trade, forget all you just had to pay this much for Beal. I would rather if I'm the wizards, he just walked and, and, and like, it's a terrible look because all this stuff about you should have traded him still applies, but you've just compounded the error now. I mean, it, it so I, I would rather just go into this season without him on the, again. Great for him. We're just, let's, let's be hundred percent clear. Super glad he got this money. Like great for him. Great negotiating awesome just get what you can but like if i'm the wizards i would just rather have the roster spot and not be committed for a quarter billion dollars like that's just and when you put it that way it's like well no shit but uh i i that's just i mean how how damning is that when you're talking about a guy that just signed it's not like this is russell westbrook starting last year it's like he hasn't even collected a check yet and we're saying this is a catastrophe like I, that's been a long time since we've had a deal like that and with Russ, yeah, we didn't even say it with Russ. Like when John Wall signed it, ironically, the Wizards yeah. gave out that. Right, who should know? But the Wizards. <laughs> but it's it's not even so much about the return of value on the contract. Of like now, you just don't even have the authority 
to change directions at all. And that's like the more you could talk me into like Bradley Beal becoming an all NBA player for the next three years. It's the no trade clause when he is not. Yes, there was only a handful of players eligible for one. He is not even in a vacuum. How many players are you genuinely willing to give a no trade clause to in the NBA? Maybe 10, if not slightly more. Bradley Beal is not one of them. The thing is, though, even even if there are those guys, the fact that nobody does it means you don't have to. Like even if right. like Steph Curry doesn't have a no trade clause, Jokic doesn't have a no trade clause. You just you don't have to do it. No, it's not done. It's so if those guys had it, and then on down the line, fine. Like maybe, but that's a long ass line until you get to Bradley Bill needing a no trade clause. And this is just to be clear, it's different from us criticizing the Cavs front office for not paying Colin Sexton. Uh, and it was pointed out to me by Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Pod that the Cavs are also need to clear a roster spot. Um, but not technically for the offseason, but they already have 15 players. Um, but my point being, like, they're lowballing him. You were already giving Bradley Beal his max, in addition to a player option, in addition to the trade kicker. Like, it just too many steps too far. Uh, to recap the grades that we gave out on this podcast, I gave the Hawks a B minus. Both Grant and I gave the Hawks a B minus. Charlotte got a D plus from the both of us. Um, although I thought I did I bump mine to a C minus? Whatever. Same difference. I think I talked you down on that one. Oh, you did. Okay, so there you go. D pluses for the Charlotte Hornets from us. The Miami Heat got a B minus from me and a C minus from Grant. The Orlando Magic got an A minus from me and a B plus from Grant. I gave the Wizards a D plus. I love Monte Morris that much, and Grant gave them a D. Uh, please remember to follow us on all the shows socials. Grant is at GT underscore Hughes. Um, it's in the podcast description, as is mine, and in the YouTube description as well. Join our Discord. The links to that are in the podcast and YouTube description, and subscribe to YouTube. Uh, and the podcast if this is your first time checking us out and feel free to go over and throw likes and nice comments our way on youtube because we're getting hammered right now since this is not all hunky dory peachy keen everything when we're talking about single teams until next time and like always we shout out to the one the only the real player who deserves a no trade clause in the nba frank nilakina <laughs>